This is Something to Gnaw On, a short podcast designed to give listeners something to chew on or gnaw on throughout their day. A Bible study in bite-sized form, if you will. I'm Nate Vinio, and this episode is Death to Pepe. My high school job was being the sanitary engineer or janitor at my dad's church. It's an inglorious job. That said, there are not many jobs out there with such flexible hours for a high school student. I took time off for Bible camp, missions trips. During the year, I'd work around my basketball schedule. I even took one day off for a friend caught in a precarious dilemma. Jay had a summer job working as a glorified assistant for a businessman in town. However, he wasn't lucky enough at this point to participate in the day-to-day operations. He had the inglorious duty of doing his household chores or any other duties that would take the businessman away from his work. The dilemma I spoke of earlier was that my friend had captured a dog food thief. Some critters had been eating the dog food and the businessman wanted it stopped. They figured it was a squirrel, so Jay procured a small trap from the Fish Wildlife Department. But unfortunately, they didn't have a small trap. All they had was a large sheet metal box trap. And a large trap might have been overkill, but I've always felt that overkill is underrated. Anyhow... The good news was that the bigger trap was the perfect size for the culprit. The bad news was that the critter was a skunk. I stood over the box, bent over, and I was staring eyeball to eyeball with Pepe Le Pew. I don't know exactly why he didn't spray, but I wonder if it was due to the fact that he couldn't lift his tail inside the trap. I wonder if a skunk is smart enough to know not to spray when he's unable to get his own tail out of the way. The dilemma isn't that we caught Pepe. The dilemma is, how do you get Pepe out of the trap without getting sprayed, or doing so without damaging the trap? After all, the businessman wants his $20 deposit back. Wives' tale or not, someone told us that a skunk wouldn't spray if it were in the dark. So we covered the skunk with a heavy blanket. The premeditation of Pepe's murder began. We were told that you cannot shoot a skunk, that they would spray when they're shot, not to mention putting a hole in the side of the trap and damaging the grate. We could make it look like an accident if we dropped it off the tailgate of the truck on I-90 and let some semi flatten it out gently, but then we'd have to come up with the $20 ourselves. And in the day of $5 per hour jobs, None of us was willing to pitch in for this plan. Keep in mind, this was before Al Gore's invention had become such a useful tool. Otherwise, the best choice would have been apparent to us right away. Subsequently, it took us a few hours to find out that a skunk will not spray when it's asphyxiated. And the plan was hatched. We loaded Pepe, the trap, and the blanket into the truck and escorted him to an isolated dirt road outside the housing development. We got out and peeled the blanket back and propped the trap up on the exhaust pipe. We jumped back in the truck, rolled up the windows, slightly stepped on the accelerator, and waited five minutes. The blessed moment of truth was upon us. I don't remember if I volunteered or if we drew straws, but I proceeded to evacuate the trap. With the blanket still on the back end of the trap, I managed to grab it and empty its contents like one empties a five-gallon pail of water. 
Pepe flew out of the trap, snowballed down the embankment. No spray. And no damage to the trap. Success was achieved, and the $20 deposit was salvaged. Is there a moral to this story? I believe there is. I've had occasions where evil has stolen from me, much like a skunk stealing food. I figure the evil to be one of two things. Either it's my sinful human nature or an evil influence. (laughs) That escalated pretty quick. But take a minute and think about it. If you have some nasty skunk stealing from you, earthly wisdom would tell you that you have two choices. Avoid the issue or address the issue. If you let it continue unchecked, it only gets worse. Not only does a skunk continue to rob you, but you become frustrated with yourself for your lack of spine to deal with it. Additionally, you have to alter your lifestyle so you never have to confront it. The longer you fail to deal with it, more is stolen from you, and you feel as if you lose ground. Shame, defeat, pain, anger, or some kissing cousin thereof enters the picture. Its natural path is a slow downward spiral to frustration and devastation, all because of avoidance. And this would be a good place to look at John 10.10. For the skunk comes to steal kill and destroy. I mean, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is where some begin to address the issue. And when they do, they get sprayed by all the nastiness that the skunk brings to the situation. Others may skip avoidance completely and address the issue head on, but the spray is still the same. Whether you shoot the skunk Beat the skunk over the head with a bat. Run him over with a Mack truck. He is going to spray. He is going to do his best to destroy. There's a high probability that the skunk would even spray if you tried to gently shoo him away. So can you really deal with the skunks in your life? And if so, how? And I would submit to you that there is a way. At this point, I need to shift gears for a biblical perspective. I'm going to need you all to take this part of the podcast and put it on the back burner and let it simmer for a moment. We'll get back to it in a bit. Throughout the Bible, the terms spirit, wind, and breath are intertwined. In most cases, the Greek word is the same, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, as in pneumatic tools that are powered by air. Pneumonia is a reference to an illness relating to the lungs and breathing and the flow of air. People who go to Bible colleges will most likely take a pneumatology class, which is a study in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Pneuma or Pneuma. I prefer to say it without the P, but anyhow. The idea of wind, breath, and spirit are intertwined throughout Scripture. Follow this through the Bible with me. In Genesis, God creates man, but he isn't fully alive until God breathes life into him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born a second time. He was physically born, but now his spirit must be born. The pneuma must bring life to our spirit. Also in the Gospel of John, just before Jesus' ascension, 
He's in the room with the disciples, and he breathes on them. He literally, physically breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Numa. In Acts, when the 120 are in the upper room waiting on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a mighty rushing Numa brings power to change the world. In the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, he writes that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. Put another way, the breath of God has the power to deal with the skunks in the life of the one who has been born a second time, one whose spirit has been born by God breathing life into him. Let's take this a bit further and get a bit more simplistic. Breath is essential to life. No translation of pneuma in Scripture is stagnant or isolated air. It's motion, it's movement, it's action, it's power. Put an air compressor and a tool together, and with the twitch of a finger, you can drive a nail in a fraction of a second. Then try doing that with a hammer. Physical life is dependent upon the constant inhale and exhale process of the lung. Fresh air in, bad air out. Additionally, one breath is not enough to sustain life. This fresh air in, bad air out process must be perpetual. You cannot hold one breath and expect to live a long and prosperous life. Some may breathe more than others based upon activity and health. Some may need a machine to assist them, but no matter how you slice it, fresh air and constant breathing are necessity for life. If this hasn't been simplistic already, let me take it yet again one step further. Have you ever noticed how you breathe out when you speak? Take a moment and try to repeat one of these sentences out loud while breathing in. Try to have a conversation with somebody this way. It can be kind of humorous, but it's obviously unnatural. It can be kind of humorous, but it's unnatural. Okay, that was really twisted. I feel like an absolute idiot for doing it right there, but I'm guessing some of you probably weren't willing to do it out loud. You cannot speak properly when you're breathing in. You can only speak properly and intelligibly when you're breathing out. I would submit to you that when it comes to Scripture, there is a dynamic of breathing in the pneuma, letting it revive you, then exhaling it, or literally speaking it out to get rid of what Paul spoke of in Second Timothy, taking the word in, speaking it out. With all of this as a backdrop, consider what Jesus does when he's tempted by Satan, the chief skunk, thief, and destroyer of life. In Luke 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan three times and in three specific ways, and each time Jesus quotes Scripture directly to Satan. It is written, and then he quotes from Deuteronomy, and each time Satan responds by moving on to another topic, and finally, Satan leaves to regroup for another opportunity. And I must say I'm intrigued by this. 
Jesus didn't speak on his own. He quoted the Father. He didn't play the I'm God and I created you card. He spoke or exhaled the breath of God's word onto Satan and Satan could not handle it. And in doing so, Jesus sets a realistic and attainable example for his kids to follow. It's interesting to note that the first scripture that Jesus quotes is Deuteronomy 8.3, quote, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, end quote. That's a word not from his mind, but from his mouth. The written word is the breath of God. You inhale it, you exhale it, you read it, you speak it. Reading it and not speaking it is like perpetually trying to breathe in. Likewise, speaking it without reading it is like perpetually trying to breathe out. It can't be done. In the Christian life, Scripture must be inhaled and exhaled in perpetuity. When you stop this process, you stop breathing, you lose consciousness, and God forbid, you die. When spoken, that phrase, it is written, followed by straight scripture, is like spiritual carbon monoxide to the devil. It's not a discussion or debate. It's the breath of God, and evil cannot stand it. It will asphyxiate evil. So keep breathing. So think of it this way. That truck we drove needed fresh air to run. Uses mechanical terms like an air intake and an air filter and a mass airflow sensor. Air is essential. And once the clean air enters the engine, it combines with fuel and it combusts in the cylinder and it generates two things. Energy or power to move the vehicle, and exhaust, or poison, which is forced out a tailpipe at the end of the vehicle. For an engine to run right, it has to constantly take air in and, at the same time, push the exhaust out. This exhaust is deadly. It's carbon monoxide. And I can tell you that it will kill a skunk without him spraying or wreaking havoc on your life. On a personal note, when my slavery to pornography came into the light, God showed me pretty quick that it was a secondary effect of my anger and hurt. When I finally cried out for freedom, one of the first lessons that God taught me was this. At the moment that I have an angry thought, I had to asphyxiate it with scripture that exalted him. Notice it wasn't at the point of my struggle with pornography. Victory over anger resulted in victory over pornography. I began my days reading Scripture, and when hurt and angry thoughts would arise, I would start quoting what I read that morning. I would be driving a forklift in a 400,000-square-foot warehouse and yelling at the top of my lungs, It is written, John 11:35. Jesus wept. And I would repeat that nearly a hundred times a night. That short verse was all I could remember at times when the anger was so heavy. But eventually the anger would dissipate. Of course, forgiveness was part of that. 
But when the anger and the hurt would come calling, I would just quote scripture, and freedom came quickly. I began to memorize other scriptures, write down others, and view them throughout the day, but most importantly, speaking them out physically. It's not good enough to just read and think of Scripture. It must be spoken. Sing it, yell it, whisper it, repeat it in Gregorian chant if you have to, but whatever you got to do, speak it out. This is no exercise in vain repetition or chanting. In quoting Scripture, I stumbled upon Christian disciplines like praise and prayer and meditation. Here's how it played out for me. At first, I'm quoting John 11.35 repetitively. Then my mind begins to shift, and I begin to think about the implications that the God of all things weeping over one man, and how he's moved by the pain that the sisters feel. Eventually, I'm praising God for having that same kind of concern for me, that he would weep over me. The praise turned to praying that I would be able to have that kind of a heart for other people. And as a result, my mind would be clear and at peace. Thoughts of anger were not even on the radar at that point. The pneuma had blown the anger out of my heart and mind. I believe I had unwittingly stumbled upon the reality of Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. Let me read that to you in the message here. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble and reputable and authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, beautiful, not the ugly, things to be praised, not to be cursed. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Again, that's from the message. There is a way to get rid of the skunks in your life without getting sprayed. There's no need to avoid them. There's no need to address them in human strength. We need to spiritually asphyxiate them with the pneuma of the word, the power of the word. Breathe it in and speak it out. I'm Nate Vineo. And this is something to gnaw on. Feel free to scroll to the end of the show notes where I have posted the full scripture references in context. It's just a quick way for you to get some Bible reading in before you clock in at work or go to bed or whatever it is that you're getting ready to do next. Whatever that is, God bless. Catch you next time.